Alrighty, so welcome back, everybody, to part two of our Autism Acceptance Month podcast episode. In our previous episode, you heard from five amazing self-advocates that are living life in the community or changing the world. Now let's hear from parents and other family members that are helping their kids and adults with autism find their place in the world. So joining me in the studio with me today is Catherine Price. Um, Catherine, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to be on our podcast today. We really appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you for having me. This is a topic close to home, so I'm happy to be here. It's our pleasure. We really appreciate it, though. So why don't you tell the viewers back home a little bit about yourself and your daughter? All right. Um, my daughter, Emma, she is eight years old currently. She was diagnosed um, on the autism spectrum when she was three. Originally, she was diagnosed as nonverbal. Uh, now, with the help of ABA therapy, speech therapy, and a speech pathologist, she has been able to navigate and speak leaps and bounds. Um, a lot of people, since she is a little bit higher functioning on the spectrum disorder, uh, don't associate autism automatically with her. And so it's kind of navigating that path and explaining to them that it is a spectrum. So there's not one clean cut way for people who have autism to be. That's awesome. So um, how are you teaching people without disabilities about autism? How are you teaching them? Uh, a lot of it's through showing them. And I mean, you can rattle off numbers and statistics and facts, and people kind of have a tendency to zone out unless it hits closer to home. In Utah, uh, currently, one in every 48-year-olds is diagnosed with being on the spectrum. Um, for me, when people, uh, I did a booth at the Ogden's Farmer's Market for a couple of years, and in that area, they actually had um, assisted living homes for older adults on the spectrum. And when they would come in, people are like, oh, they're acting weird, or just making comments without fully understanding. So I took it as part of my mission in being there to help educate them by saying, you know, that's a stemming behavior where they feel so much emotion or it's all bottled up inside that the waving of the hands or the tapping of the feet or the different repetitive behaviors, behaviors help them express and release the emotion that is so big inside. Um, I also tell them, you know, it's a neurodivergent diagnosis, which means that the brain actually processes and functions differently when it comes to analyzing and doing things like that. So if I look at a chalkboard and I solely see black and white, my daughter doesn't just see the black and white. She sees all the pictures surrounding it. She sees all of the movement in how the words are written. It's not just focusing on 
what is expected. It's noticing all the broader or smaller details as well. Um, in educating people, a lot of it is taking away the stigma that people place over um, individuals on the spectrum. A lot of it, I mean, I'm a little bit older, and so my generation, when I was in school, the kids who were on the spectrum were taught completely different and almost isolated from the neurotypical population. And so allowing people the chance to understand that they're not bad kids, they're not troublemakers, they're not, I mean, they just learn differently. And so it's taking that time and understanding to not only realize your way of seeing it, but that it takes them a little bit more time to process the information than just quick rapid firing. I agree with you on that one, Catherine. And yeah, and in the course of the, we've had, the world has changed from special education where it has been from where mm -hmm. you were. That's pretty amazing to hear how far we've come. So oh, my yeah. next question, oh, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> so my next question is, do you ever get nervous about what the future may hold for your daughter? Oh, absolutely. Uh, right now, currently in her class, she actually does a split class to where she's with the general population for majority of the day and then uh, in a special ed group for the other part. But this past year, last year at their school, they had three special ed teachers and 12 helpers. This year, there is one special ed teacher and only three helpers for the entire school. So that worries me as far as my daughter getting the allotted time that she needs in order to succeed and fully understand the curriculum. Um, with that teacher shortage, especially in special education, um, I have very big worries about her progression um, at her own rate instead of forcing her to learn at a quicker rate because let's just get her to the next level. Um, I also worry a little bit about uh, community. Uh, when she was four, uh, our property uh, ends at a walk path that goes through the neighborhood. Um, I simply stepped into the house for a moment while she was playing. And when I went back out, she was on the walk path. Mm. And so um, one of the neighbors did call the police just to make sure that she was okay. But then you hear stories about other young individuals with autism who the police don't necessarily understand the stemming behaviors or the personal space, the sensory issues, that their practices are used more as seeing um, people on the spectrum who exhibit those behaviors as a threat 
instead of fully not fully understanding that it's them trying to self-soothe in order to let the police know what they're asking. Um, there's, of course, the other issues that parents worry about, um, child abduction, uh, fully being able to communicate if she gets lost, things like telephone number, address. I mean, and a lot of it is in part a standard parental worry, but where she's on the spectrum and can't fully convey um, things that a neurotypical child could or get so overwhelmed that she shuts down. It's a worry about is society going to try and take advantage or are they going to mistreat her? Because that full understanding isn't quite there. So how do, so I know that this is just a pop question for what you're talking about. So um how how do you um so if she gets nervous about stuff, how do you actually calm her down? Like if she gets nervous about something, how do you calm her down? Um with her, she goes into one of three modes. And it's either meltdown mode, which is yelling and screaming at the top of her lungs that she doesn't like it or she's mad or things like that and with that i've learned um with her to allow her to go through the motions and fully express that before and allow her to self-calm that way before i address it because in a fit of anger or in a in meltdown mode it does at least for me, I found absolutely no good to try and address it in the middle of the meltdown. Um, her second form of coping is organizing and cleaning, trying to make everything fall into place uh, to create order out of chaos. And then uh, the third one, is kind of breakdown crying um and that happens especially with corrections if she does something wrong with homework correcting that it's automatic tears i'm not doing good enough i messed up and with that it's calming her and letting her know that hey it's a mistake we all make mistakes even mom does so let's try again and get it right. And with uh, the organization and putting things in an order that she fully understands, I just kind of let her do it because it's one of those. It doesn't hurt anybody. And so let's allow her to process that feeling in her own way and then address it. I like those methods. I like it. So my last question is, what advice would you give to parents who have kids or adults that have just been diagnosed with autism? What advice would you give? To breathe. <laughs> it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, not only for you, but for them too. Uh, you're both new to the situation and it's the first time both of you are navigating it. 
So have self-compassion as well as compassion for your kid or older adult or self. I mean, it's one of those we're all learning and the learning curve is a lot of times like a roller coaster. You have your ups and you have your downs. Um, the other thing I would recommend is taking a moment for you because it can get to be a lot. Filling out insurance information, filling out the questionnaires that the schools put out. Um, if you have to go to speech therapy or you choose ABA therapy or um, any way that you're handling it, it's going to be a lot. So just take a moment and step away, even if it's getting somebody to stay with the individual for a half an hour and just go on a walk or go to the grocery store by yourself. I mean, it's simple things allowing you to have kind of your own decompression time so that you can go through the marathon because helping someone on the spectrum isn't a sprint. So it's, you're there for the long haul. You are their constant. So you don't want to burn out once every two or three months and then have to start over again. That is some great advice, Catherine. Well, Catherine, thank you so much for agreeing to be on our podcast episode. We really appreciate it once again. Oh, not a problem. Thank you for having me. It was an honor to join you today. It's our pleasure. Coming up next, we are going to hear from Anna Brainer and hear what she has to say. So stay tuned. Welcome back, everybody, to part two of our Developability's podcast episode on Autism Acceptance Month, the Family Members Edition. We're really excited you guys tuned in. So joining me now here in the studio is my good friend, Anna Brainer, and we are really excited to have her on our show today. So Anna, thank you so much for being a part of our podcast today. We really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for inviting me, Eric. I'm happy to be here. It's my pleasure. So my first question is, tell us a little bit about yourself for the viewers back home. Yeah, so a little bit about myself. So we are good friends, Eric and I. Um, I oversee the Disability and Health Program at the Utah Department of Health and Human Services. And in that work, um, we're really focused on increasing opportunities for individuals with disabilities uh, for health promotion and preventive health care. And so Eric and I actually co-lead a statewide coalition of partners together to try to support that goal of increasing those opportunities for people with disabilities. Yeah, and I live in Farmington with my husband. Um, we have three children who are all in their 20s. Um, and we have two cats, two ragdoll cats, and they're adorable and they like to join me on some of my conference calls. <laughs> and I love to cook, I love to garden, and I'm looking forward to gardening season. And that's it. That's awesome, Anna. So my next question, Anna, is how are you teaching people without disabilities about autism? Yeah, that's a really good question, Eric. So one of the ways that I try to teach people um, is just by providing resources. So through my job, I've met so many great people and um, so many great organizations who really have a lot of tools and resources to help support people um, with autism. And 
I think that, you know, it's it's really important that, you know, people understand that everyone has great potential and to try to support to support others in reaching that potential. And so I don't know if that answered your question fully, Eric. Okay. <laughs> That's awesome, Anna. So my next question is, do you ever get nervous about what the future may hold for your niece? Yeah, so I have a niece, uh, her name is Emma, and she has autism. And I do get a little bit nervous sometimes about what the future might hold for her because she's so smart and she's so fun and creative and she just has such a big heart. She really is very kind and she cares um, about her friends a lot. And you know, over the course of the last couple of years, I know that she's experienced some bullying at school and that has really hurt her feelings and made school a little more challenging for her. And so, you know, I just want to see her reach her full potential and and be supported by people and and not be bullied, um, you know, so that she can feel part of her group at school and really enjoy that experience. So sometimes I worry about what the future holds because I worry that she might become a little more introverted into herself and not be so extroverted um, because, yeah, her personality is really to want to be around people and, and the kindness that she has, I would just hate to see her light be dimmed by some of the bullying that has happened. Bullying has been a big issue in a lot of the conversations I've listened to a lot though, but I think it needs to stop though, because it makes me sad when people get bullied. It makes me really sad. Yeah, me too. So my last question in it is, what advice would you give to parents who have kids or adults that have just been diagnosed with autism? What advice would you give to them? So the advice that I would give to them is to try to seek out, um, you know, organizations and peers and, um, you know, organizations that have resources that they can learn more about autism and that they can learn how to support their family member in the best way possible and just have those opportunities for learning and with the with the final goal of just being supportive and, um, you know, feeling connected. So I, I think reaching out to organizations, I think the Utah Parent Center is a fabulous organization that really um, connects people to other families who, you know, who have family members with autism and they've got a library of resources that are so helpful. I think the Utah Developmental Disabilities Council presents so many opportunities for advocacy and to learn how to become a self-advocate and really become empowered um, for people with autism and, and other disabilities. So um, I would say, yeah, those two organizations off the top of my head, the Utah Developmental Disabilities Council and the Utah Parent Center are terrific starting points for, for families and individuals to check out. That's awesome, Anna. Well, Anna, thank you so much for agreeing to be on our podcast today. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Eric. I appreciate your leadership and, and thanks for all that you do. It's my pleasure. And thank you, viewers, for listening to our podcast episode. If you'd like to have a topic featured on our podcast, please email me at eStokerUtah.gov and we'll make sure you guys get on the next show. So thanks so much for seeing everybody and have a great, fantastic morning. Hi everybody, this is Information Specialist Eric Stoker and welcome to a bonus clip of Autism Acceptance Month 
part two family members. And we're really excited about this one. So joining me here in the studio today, so we have with us today is my good friend Colleen, who has been one of my friends for a long time. And she is also with the Autism Council of Utah. So Colleen, thanks very much for being on our podcast. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for taking this extra time with me. It's my pleasure. So tell tell the viewers back home a little bit about yourself and Maya. So I am a mom of um, Maya. She's going to be 25 this summer. Um, she was diagnosed with autism when she was about three years old. She also has an additional genetic condition that we didn't find out about until she was closer to 18. That's awesome. So how are you teaching people without disabilities about autism? How are you teaching them? I It's actually one of my favorite things. So um, I also work at the Utah Parent Center with the Utah Family Voices Project. So I get to teach um, workshops and information um, events. And I love presenting. I love talking about autism and I love talking about like system support. Um, so sometimes it's with parents who are have like new diagnosis for their kids, but it's also with professionals. It's also with um, teachers. It's with law enforcement. That's one of my favorite presentations to do. Um, so that, that's what I like to do. Awesome. So do you ever get nervous about what the future may hold for Maya? Absolutely. I get, I get really nervous about that, Eric. Um, I get nervous about things that might be available for her um, as an adult. She needs a lot of support and we provide that as a family for her right now. And I might not always be able to provide that for her. And so that makes me nervous. Um, also, there's not always people that, you know, that are available to do that. So when I'm not around, I get nervous about that, about the future for her, for sure. That makes me really nervous. It's nervous for all people about this. And we don't know what their future is going to look like. It's nervous yeah. sometimes. Yeah. So my next question is, my last question, excuse me, is what advice would you give to parents who have kids or adults that have just been diagnosed with autism? Well, it, you you have probably heard this before, but I, I think about it as, you know, that marathon analogy, you know what I mean? It's a marathon, not a sprint. And that, you know, how many different phases have you been through throughout your lifetime? You know, Maya's toddler years looked very different than her adolescent years, looked very different than her teenage years. And as an adult, she looked, you know, her life looks very, very different. And not one of those phases, I would say, were easier or more difficult than another one. Um, all of them I have enjoyed and struggled differently as a mom. I've watched her struggle and enjoy her life experiences differently. And so I think that that's, that's something I would remind parents of is that um, enjoy each life stage and um, look forward to, you know, to the future. Cause you, like you said earlier, you don't know what that's gonna hold. You don't know what's gonna look like. It's a little bit scary. That's pretty good. That's way good advice. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. So my follow-up question, Colleen, why don't you tell the viewers back home a little bit about the Autism Council of Utah? Because I know you're the chair. But tell a little bit about the Autism Council of Utah for the people back home. Yeah. So the main thing we really want to do is provide some advocacy and resources for families. Um, but all of our members and um, our leadership board, we um, sit on committees and 
things in leadership positions. So I work with state agencies. I work with the governor's commissions um, to make sure that different issues that concern the autism community um, get represented in our legislature each year, as well as um, we provide grants for service providers in the state of Utah. So donations that get provided to the Autism Council of Utah stay in the state of Utah. We are a 100% volunteer organization. We don't even have an office or a phone number. Everything we do is volunteer. Um, and so that um, we can provide that in grants, again, to service providers in Utah. And you can just, um, it's a really easy application process. You can look that up just at autismcouncilofutah.com. That's awesome. Well, Colleen, thank you so much for bringing me on our podcast. We really appreciate it. Eric, again, thank you so much for being so accommodating and for having this podcast. It's been really, really fun. Thanks. You're a great host. Thanks. I do what I can, though. And thank you, viewers, for listening. Um, stay tuned. And then if you always want to learn more about our podcast, you can visit us on Spotify, or Anchor, or wherever you guys have podcasts. And just a reminder, folks, if you have anyone that'd be interested in being a part of our podcast, please email me at eastokerutah.gov. And we'll put on the next next show. So thanks so much for listening, everybody, and have a great, fantastic afternoon.